Welcome back to episode number 127 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. Thank you guys. I want to thank you guys. You guys are, are awesome. I really, I really appreciate being a part of this community. I really do because I, I've been so very silent and I haven't put in half as much energy as I had been and the numbers are still growing and that's all because of you guys. You guys are doing the work. You're doing the heavy lifting and I appreciate you doing it. You know how you're doing it? You're telling your friends, you're telling colleagues, your classmates, you're telling anybody that'll listen that needs information about uh, the legal side or just the, the, the new NP version of what's going on out there and what to expect when you're done with school and some of the issues that you're going to face. And, uh, you know, if I can help someone with one issue, then it's worth it. It really is. If somebody, you know, if, if I spend 30 minutes on doing a podcast and another 15 or 20 minutes to upload it, it and it helps one person out there, awesome. It, it, that's It's fantastic. I'm, I'm stuck in my car anyways. I might as well do something useful with it. And I'd rather help somebody out there than uh, sit here and listen to, you know, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts that I like to listen to, but, you know, another one <laughs> for me isn't going to, eh, I'd rather help you guys. So I appreciate the help. The other way you guys can help support the show I want you to like on Facebook, and I want you to share as much as you can on Facebook. Every time you guys do a share of the show and you tell people about it, the topic just explodes, and it quadruples the number of people that, that see the show. So for every one share, it it quadrupled. It's amazing. It's really how people are getting the word out. And um, so share the show as much as possible on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I don't do Twitter much. I'm, I'm there, but, you know, it's just more for me being there than anything else. But, uh, you know, if any platform that you feel is, you know, a good resource for our community, share the word. The other thing you can do is use the Amazon affiliate link. You go to my website, thenpdude.com. If you're a new listener, this is the best way to support the show financially. So what you can do... Go to my website, click on the Amazon banner, it takes you to Amazon, do the purchasing you otherwise would have. What does it do? It kicks me a couple percentage of your of your purchase. I'm still getting daily purchases. Um, none of them are huge, but you know what? I don't care, I'll take it because every little bit adds up. And so what you do, if you if you spend 20 bucks, I get like 3% of that. It just depends on what it is. But, but the percentage, some things I don't get anything and other things I get four or 5%. But so, it just really depends on what it is. If you guys are doing like the uh, Amazon specific stuff like the Echo or any other technology that they have, or if you use subscriptions through Amazon, I get a huge number on those. And I've had a couple of them. I was like, holy crap, I can't believe how much money they kick you back. So if, you, if you're looking at getting an Amazon type item, go ahead and use the Amazon affiliate link. Great way to support the show financially. The other thing you can do is use the donate button. It's at the bottom of my website. You click that, it uses PayPal. Go ahead and click it, boom. Takes you right to PayPal. Throw some money at me. I had somebody say, I'm not on PayPal, but I really like your show and I want to support what you're doing. And uh, said, hey, what's your address? And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't know if I want to give out my address. You guys can find me. If you really, really are smart and wanted to, you could start getting on the internets and find me. It's not that difficult. That being said, um, I got a check in the mail. It was amazing. I couldn't believe somebody sent me a check. That was the most fantastic thing that made my day. It really did. It just told me that somebody got value out of the, the energy that I'm putting in, and it was a substantial number. It wasn't like, you know, 50, 50 cents. I mean, it was a big number. There was a lot of zeros there, and that was that was awesome. 
So um, I really do appreciate that. I really, really do. And uh, it does go to help support the show. I'm going to use that money. It's going to go in the bank. It's going to sit there and it's going to help with web hosting for next year. And so hopefully that'll help propagate me into 2019. So what you guys are doing, I'm not made whole yet for, you know, the, you know I'm paid up for this year, but I want to make sure I got enough for next year before I hit the go button. So it still adds up. That's awesome. We're at 2,400 and we just broke 2,400 likes on Facebook. I don't know what we're at now. And for every, you know, 10, somebody drops off and that's cool. I'm, you know, if you're not getting any value out of this or you know it all, then, uh, you know, that's fine. Or you don't use the information. It's just clogs up your Facebook feed. Then delete me. I don't care. So, um, you know, that's what happens. I got one more negative rating. I got another one on iTunes. So I have two negative ratings. I don't know. They didn't leave a comment. So I have no idea what I'm doing wrong, but apparently I'm not doing something right for two people in this world. Everybody else seems to like it. So keep on giving ratings on iTunes, Facebook, any of the other podcast platforms. Great way to let me know what's going on. And um, let's jump right in. I got two, three questions today. It's three of them. One that was tagged on Facebook and the other came from uh, a newer Chronic Intractable. Chronic Intractable for new, listener, new listeners is not a derogatory term. It's what I call fans of this show. So if you're a chronic intractable and you want a t-shirt, I sell them. So go ahead and look on my Facebook page. You'll see pictures of t-shirts. 25 buckaroos gets you a chronic intractables t-shirt. Sorry, bad intersection. And there we go. And so um, chronic intractable sends me a great name, by the way. And I'm, I'm not going to use this person's name because I didn't say I could. But I love your Facebook name. It's fantastic. I hope it's your real name. I'm not sure it is. It sounds like it's possibly a... Um, a moniker of sorts, <laughs> but it's fantastic. So, um, question comes in and says, Hey, I've, you know, I've kind of been trolling through and listening to a bunch of your shows, but, um, I haven't heard this one asked and I love new questions. This was a new question. Haven't even thought or considered it. Cause I just, it's some of this stuff. I just kind of like, eh, it's, it's so obvious to me, but it, it must be burning the hole in somebody's gut. So let's, let's dig in hypothetical. Patient comes in seeking narcotics. Well, I'm going to change it a couple different ways. I'm going to do a couple scenarios, but the, the end result is the same. Comes in seeking narcotics. You say, I'm not going to give you narcotics. They get pissed off, aggravated, start threatening you, leave, but then they, they stand outside at the curb and are looking at you through the window and you know making threatening gestures and stuff like that. Okay, So that's hypothetical one. What do you do in that circumstance? And what liability do you have? And there's some extensions that we'll get into. Hypothetical two, uh, you work in psychiatric medicine and you have a truly psychotic patient that is having homicidal ideation and they start threatening you. Not in maybe a soft way, like not physically like, you know, going to punch you in the head, but, but they're, you know, using words or making threatening concepts in your direction. And what do you do? So that's, that's another one. And it's most psych people are going to know what to do with that. But FNP, you could get some psychotic people that you're just not usually used to dealing with. And, and I've got, I've had this happen where, I, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of scared about this dude. This guy makes me nervous. My spidey senses are tingling. And so, you know, I, I, I can relate to this one. Um, and then, then any other, um, question of, um, threats or violence or anything like that towards you or an office staff member or something like that. The question comes down to, um, two different things. One is going to be your individual personal rights 
and um, what you personally can do. And then the second thing is going to be related to whatever your company policy is on that particular incident. So the first thing you want to do is when you get hired in and you start thinking about these issues, you want to start looking through the policy book and see if they have policies on stuff like this. Because if they have a policy that says the first step is for you to contact the office manager, the second step is for them if they feel that the the threat is credible, that the police will be called, and that the process will be followed per the protocol. And the protocol should be written in a way that it protects the rights and um, safety of the office staff, including you as the nurse practitioner. I would hope. I mean, God, God only knows what people do in their offices and what kind of policies they write. But that, that would be the intent that the, the policy would be for the best interests of everybody there and so that you don't violate a HIPAA violation and things like that. And so that's really what it comes down to is HIPAA. Do you have a right to call the cops when somebody comes in and threatens you and you you, uh, feel a true sense of, you know, potential harm? Can you just call the cops? And the answer is yes. There's a carve out from HIPAA that says that you are allowed if you feel threatened, if you are threatened, if there's any type of violence towards you, that you are allowed to call the police and um, in reality, it's going to be the same way if they're threatening to harm you with homicidal ideation and they're psychotic, then they need to be pink slipped. Well, at least that's what we call in Ohio. I don't know what you guys call it in other states. I'm assuming it's the same thing. But they, that's where you, you, you know, pink slip is you get three day automatic, you know, you get detained into a psychiatric ward uh, for evaluation. And, and so you can do that and, and call the authorities to come and pick this person up right now. Now, in certain states, you are not necessarily permitted to sign the pink slip, per se. And I think in Ohio, we are now. We weren't up until last year, but last year, I think they changed it. So, And I don't do pink slips. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to call the cops in, as a family practice nurse practitioner working in family practice. Somebody's acting psychotic. I call the cops. Let them figure that one out. They can haul them off down to, to the psych ward. I don't need to get my hands dirty on that one because I'm not going to evaluate them inpatient anyways. But in psych, you might. So, so what? What are your rights individually? You are permitted to call the police anytime you're you feel threatened. Now, if you violate the policies and you skip over things in your office without justification for it, like say your office manager's out on vacation and you can't you can't notify them, and you make the the executive decision, quote unquote, to just call the cops and it was the bad call. Well, can they fire you? Yeah, they can. Um, but you know, if you've reasonably tried to follow the protocol and documented that you tried to follow the protocol, then, then you should be pretty safe. If you're, if you're calling the cops to come and pick somebody up because they're threatening you, you document the shit out of it. Here's exactly in quotes what they said to me. Patient made threatening gestures towards staff member. Uh, tried to push staff member, staff member hid behind chair, went in other room and locked the door. <laughs> That's pretty convincing evidence that, that uh, you're not going to blow a HIPAA violation because of the carve-out exception for um, notification to police officers and safety personnel. So I, I think you're safe there. So can you do that? Yes. Um, and that one's pretty obvious to me, so I never really thought about that being an issue. But yes, you can absolutely call the cops on a patient. Absolutely, as long as you document it, you have good reason for it, 
and even you you actually have an obligation to call the police if he's he or she is physically um, assaulted another party you have an obligation to actually report that you could actually be in trouble with the state board in a lot of states for not reporting violence or abuse or things like that you actually have to it's a reportable incident all right now what can you do individually as a professional sitting in your office that feels threatened at the time at the moment like somebody comes at you what can you do what do you have to do you have to just take the punch do you have to get stabbed do you you know if they pull out a gun and shoot you can you can you fight back the answer to the question is you can always fight back and so this is this is basically the right to self-defense and it's different in different states and it's different with respect to um, whether your company has a policy on it or not. Now, if again, there's two different questions here. It's what's the company's policy about, you know, can you carry a concealed gun? Um, and I have a concealed carry license in Ohio. I'm cool with it. So if you were allowed to carry and you want to carry a gun, I could care less. As long as you're trained, trained and you know how to use it and you practice with it and you use safe, safe uh, judgment with it, I, the safest place my gun is is on my hip. As soon as it's not on my hip, it's not safe, in my opinion. Because somebody else can get to it. It's in my safe, but otherwise it's on my hip. I'm not allowed to carry a gun, per my office protocol. But if there was no office protocol, I might carry my gun. I mean, there's some shady-ass people that come into my office, and I, every now and then I'm like, I kind of wish I had my gun on me. Um, do I think that they're, that I'm ever really threatened? I, don't, I haven't had that yet, but there's not a moment that goes by that, you know, I say no to a lot of narcotics to people and benzos, and, I, you know, some of them are pretty shady people. You know, just got out of prison, wants narcotics, you know, violent assaults, psychiatric history. It's just a little scary. So can you carry a gun or carry a knife or, you know, that type of stuff? It really depends on your company policy as to whether they'll allow you to do that. Most of them will not. They don't want the liability of you accidentally shooting yourself or someone else. So most companies are going to have a policy of a no handgun, no concealed carry, that kind of thing. Now, in the state of Ohio, they, they used to say you're not allowed to do it on the property. Now you're allowed to lock it in your car. As long as it's concealed in your car, you can have your weapon in the car. Even at an employment that has the little guns on the windows, it says with a cross through it, it says you're not allowed to bring them here. And I'm sure it's different in every state in the union, and it just depends on where you are. Texas is like open open carry policy uh, as far as the law is concerned, but it really comes down to the company policy. And your willingness to take that paycheck means that you're going to follow the rules of the company. So if you don't follow the rules of the company, guess what? You don't get a right to a paycheck. It's not a right anyways, but you know what I mean. So if I was in a room, here's the hypothetical. If I'm in a room and I have a psychotic patient that starts taking a swing at me and he swings at me and connects with my jaw, game on. I'm taking that guy down and I'm going to try to incapacitate him to the point that I can get the hell out of that room and get everybody safe. I'm not going to sit there and try to bar room brawl with somebody in an office exam room and start smacking them with speculums. But but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I want to get the hell out of there. I'm going to go home and see my kids. My, my goal is to not get killed today or get hurt or have my staff get hurt. That being said, what would be my liability? Well, it's two people's word, right? Um, it's credit it comes down to credibility. And how do you prove it? Well, you got to document it after the event and document it well and better have a police report and better have a whole bunch of other stuff 
that corroborates what you have, plus witness statements from from office staff that they heard shouting, um, what the words were that they heard shouting through the door. God damn it, you won't give me narcs, I want my pills. You know, that kind of stuff, right? Um, so the more corroborating evidence that you have, I would have written statements from every single person in the office, what they heard, what they saw, where they were, did they feel threatened, all that stuff, and signed it before the day was out, just like a police statement would be. And uh, the police might even want the same thing. And if they, if you did a police statement, I would just make photocopies of their police statements and put it in in the file um, with the um, with the chart, scan them into the chart. Just would that would be me. That's not a violation of HIPAA. That's that's fact. Boom goes right in their chart. That way, if you ever get sued for anything, you know, and, and the, the defense attorneys. Um, want to call into question, um, you know, your credibility as a provider and that maybe there was some kind of wiggle room in the defense in a criminal case. It's all locked down. You did a lot of the work for the police. Not that you're trying to do be a cop, but at the end of the day, you want to keep this, this uncontrollable person controlled until they figure out what to do with them, whether it's, you know, you go to jail or whether they get psychiatric treatment. They need to be fixed if they can be. And if they can't be, they need to be put away so that other people don't get hurt. If you were to hurt this individual, could you be personally liable? You could be personally liable. It depends on the state and it depends on what doctrine of of self-defense they have. There's different doctrines. So some states are, you have a right to self-defense only if you're in your house. It's called the castle doctrine. And it's not specifically extended to workplace. So castle doctrine is um, you're at home, somebody breaks into your house, you pull out your shotgun and you shoot them dead. They have a gun and they, they threaten you. It's just in their hand and they come right through the front door with a gun in their hand and boom, you shoot them right as soon as they come in the threshold. That doesn't work in some states. You have to actually retreat to another room and have literally nowhere else to go before you're allowed to pull the trigger and save your life. And I think that's a crock of crap. That's too late. It gives the, the bad guy too much wiggle room to come after you. That's my opinion. That's that's the castle doctrine. I don't like it. And that's not the way it is in Ohio. If you if you break a window and there is a threat of your life, whether they have a weapon or not, you pull the trigger and you kill them dead in your home, you're good to go. If prove it, you're probably going to get arrested right off the bat. Um, but your your attorney's going to get you right off. You're going to come right out of jail and they'll just like be like, all right, good. We got one less bad guy on the street. Does it extend in some states to your office? It does. Some places, states, actually, it's anywhere you exist. If you if you are walking down the street, and I think of the Batman movie, the original one, right? When the when the Wayne parents got murdered in the street after the theater. I know I'm a dork, but so I think of that one. And they, they were standing there, and the guy didn't fight back. He just shot him, right? Shot the mom and dad right in front of Bruce Wayne. That's why he becomes Batman, right? I'm a dork. If he had had done that in some states and fought back and shot, you know, the, the bad guy, the Joker, right, was the guy that killed him. If he shot the Joker right there in the street, he would have been to jail and brought up on charges for murder because they didn't run down the alleyway to get away. And then, you know, you kind of have to run down the alleyway till there's nowhere else to run. Then you can turn around and shoot the guy that's chasing you, threatening your life. That's how it is in a lot of states. So you still have a, a, a duty to retreat in some states. If you're in an exam room, there's really nowhere else to retreat to. So if the door's closed, 
um, and you're in the room and they start coming after you, I would protect yourself and worry about the consequences later. That's my opinion. Now, if you're carrying your concealed carry gun legally in your pocket but against company policy, you're probably going to get fired, but you may not go to jail. I don't, you know, and so at the end of the day, would I, would I recommend that you carry a gun in your pocket to, to work? I, I don't know if that's a great plan for a lot of people. Would, would my provider, if I went to a provider and, and I was told that, you know, he carries a concealed carry, carry gun, would I not go to him? Because I, I wouldn't care. Right? Awesome. I feel safer now. But that's me personally. So you really have to know what your company policies are. You really need to know what your state's rules are as far as whether you have an obligation to uh, retreat. And can you defend yourself? Yes, in, in 50 states in the union you can, but there's always qualifiers as to what that definition is. So you really got to be versed in, on what to do. In my opinion is if somebody's psychotic and they're acting psychotic at the window and they're acting flaky and you're told that they're, you know, they're really, really irate and angry, you have, you call, you have the, the person at the window say, we'll be with you soon. You call 911 and you get their ass out of there before you even go in to see them. And I've had some pretty angry people, not many, but a, a, a couple. And um, and it's been my experience that if I I can usually talk them down, so it's usually not an issue for me. And it's just been my experience. It's not like I'm bragging. I just don't haven't had that many opportunities for, for this to really be an issue. And I don't do a huge amount of you know I've got a couple psychotic patients that see me for primary care, but they're usually well relatively well controlled. But usually I'll just turn it around. I'll talk real slow and soft. And uh, I always, you know, I'll crack the door. I won't lock it closed. If I know they're, you know, a little shady, I'll kind of keep the door cracked. So I just got to pull the door open and I'm out. Um, I put the little table thing that we use that we put the computer on. I kind of, it's got wheels on it. I put it between me and the patient. So he's got to come over that. I can kick it at him if I need to. So I do watch my my posture and I watch my presence in the room. When I have somebody that's a little shady, I don't turn my back to him. And I keep my eyes on him the whole time. I'll chart on them later. I don't sit there and chart and look at my screen while they're sitting there pulling their knife out. You know, I've I'm, I'm got my eyes on them the whole time. And I'll ask them, look, you know, are you, what's going on? How's it going? I've, I've had a couple angry people. Look, you know, I know you're angry. What, why are you angry? Are you angry with me? What can I do to make it make you less angry? And usually when you turn it right back on them to see what's, what's going on and you address that issue first, then, you, then usually you can calm it down. You don't be confrontational with somebody that's already angry. It just heightens it. So... There's that one. Okay, question number two. That was, that was a fun question, and I really appreciate it. I know I'm droning on, but I find that, you know, I, I like the idea of, of um, being proactive in your own safety. I really like preparedness in nature, and that's one that's really being prepared in your practice. And a lot of people don't think about it. It's a great question. Another question, same, same listener. Spanish-speaking population, um, a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, patients don't speak Spanish. No sprechenzi, right? And I don't speak Spanish either. What's your liability in Spanish-speaking world as a provider that doesn't speak Spanish? Well, it's difficult, right? Because you need to know what the reasonably prudent person in the same or similar circumstance would do. If you can't communicate with your patient, then you need to find a way to communicate with your patient because that's what the reasonably prudent person would do. You can't not treat somebody you can't understand their history. 
can't just guess. I mean, you can, but that's not what a reasonably prudent person would do. So it goes back to the same old tort liability, malpractice liability analysis that, that I do all the time. It's the same analysis over and over again. What would the reasonably prudent person in the same or similar circumstance do? And that's the standard of care. Did you breach that? So if it requires you to find a, um, to use the little telephone things or to use um, Google Translate or use some kind of tool that, that allows you, whether it's some you know family member that's a trusted family member that can translate for you, those are all options, in my opinion, that a reasonably prudent person would, would, would do, use. The other thing is, is that I see a lot of times people say, oh, no, you have to get a translator or you're in trouble. You're not allowed to not have a translator. And I sit there and say, no, that's not true. If you're taking money from the government, in other words, usually it means you are a, um, a nonprofit organization in which you get some kind of benefit from the government, whether you're like an FQHC or you are getting kickbacks for... Um, you know, under Obamacare, if you're one of the large hospital systems and you do all your proper reportings, they mandate that you actually have to have interpreters available for that because you're getting something from the government. But if you're just a little private practice, you're in business for yourself, whether you're profit or nonprofit, doesn't really matter. Um, maybe nonprofit might might get a hiccup, but for profit, for sure, you don't have to get a translator. You don't have to hire a translator. You don't have to pay for the phone service thing where you you know, you know are on one phone, them on the other, and they say something that translates and it comes through the other earpiece. You don't necessarily have to do that. There's no obligation to do that. There's no legal standard that says you have to do that. It really comes down to your malpractice liability question. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you have to do what's right for your patient. If it means that you need to learn a little less Spanish, then you have to get some Spanish in your system. I took three years of Spanish in high school, and I know how to say mierda and zapatos. That's it. I'm out. I got shit and shoes. I don't know why I'm on the SH words, but that's all I got. So um, Spanish, if I had a heavily uh, Spanish population, I would probably consider doing some Spanish classes. I really would. I would really consider it, only because it would just make my job easier just to learn it. Plus, it'd be cool to know another language. I really think it would be cool. I, I need to be forced into the use, though. That's the only problem. I don't have enough... I have, like, two families that are Spanish-speaking in my practice. And they come in once in a while. So it's not like I see them all the time. They really require me having to learn anything beyond shit and shoes. <laughs> and I don't use shit with the kids. It's just not fun. It's not a good idea. And la lingua. I learned tongue, right? That's it. Right? Lingua. La lingua. The tongue. I got that one. Stick out your tongue. La lingua. Got it. I know that one. So, um... Spanish speaking, learn some Spanish, people. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> totally, just learn Spanish. I don't care. Either way, you got to translate enough that you can get the uh, meet the standard of care. The uh, last one I'm gonna do because I'm running long is one that I was tagged in on Facebook. I was mentioned, and so sometimes my mentions don't show up. Sometimes they do, and this one didn't. And I was cruising through, and every now and then I'll just pull, pull up my mentions to see if anybody's talking about me to see if I missed anything. And I did. I missed one, and this one came in, and it was a tax question because it's tax season. Somebody got a 1099. They got their W-2 for employment, then they got a 1099 for their meaningful use payments. Ooh, it was like twenty-two grand. How'd you like to pay taxes on twenty-two grand? That's gonna be you know like I don't know five six grand. Yowie, that sucks. 
So what's this meaningful use stuff? Well, back, I don't know, in 2013, 2010, and it was with Obamacare, they're trying to force everybody that does any type of EHR or any type of paper charting was to be converted over to, to um, electronic EHR systems. And, and my, my cynical view is so that Medicare and Medicaid can just, you know, eventually have the resources to just snoop right into your your chart and see what's going on with you because they have direct access and availability to your system, to your chart. So as long as you're on an electronical chart system, they should in theory be able to just, you know, backdoor, walk right in, look at all the records and, you know, see what information they want to see and use it for whatever purpose they want to use it. That's the cynical view. And I think they're probably going to do that eventually because they're already doing it with, with Homeland Security is doing it through the Patriot Act with our cell phones, emails, and texts, and everything else. So they're already able to do that now for everything else in our life. But I think this is going to be a backdoor way to do it for our health information. That being said, meaningful use payments for doing what they want you to do, they give you a kickback percentage. And um, what happens is the government basically pays you this extra meaningful use payment and it gets paid to the provider but it gets in reality gets submitted to the practice because of typically your your credential with your NPI number giving the service but the office's NPI number is the recipient of that so the office got the payment for the meaningful use because in your contract you typically assign all payments from CMS to your employer if your contract if you're an employee it automatically goes that way it doesn't go to you it goes to the company so you don't have to do it that way but that's how you get credentialed wow a lot of a lot of people at the intersection today guys i'm, I'm going i don't care i just cut three people off <laughs> eat it suckers yeah hear that engine roar paul there it is so um so your meaningful use stuff gives you some money to kick back to the company now the the way that gets reported it's taxable it's absolutely 100% taxable it's income under section 61a of the IRS code google it if you want you know trust me section 61 at least it was 15 years ago when I was in law school it's amazing I can remember section numbers but I do that's one that was pounded into my brain so that's that's taxable income okay as a payment that being said the government gives you this payment back, and then in theory you get a 1099 for it. Or in a 1099, here's a good point to talk about 1099s. 1099 is just a generic form that anybody can give anybody that that says that I gave you money, and I I am reporting to the government that I'm writing this off on my taxes. So let's do an example here, and this is a good side shoot. Let's say, for example, I am hired as a contract NP, just contract, not a contract employee, and I give services to this company and for, let's say, $200,000 for the year. And at the end of the year, they give me a 1099 form that says, here's your 1099 for all the payments total that we gave you of... $200,000. What you do with your $200,000 is up to you, whether it's buying health insurance, life, you know, life insurance, um, 
your liability policy, whether you pay your taxes. They don't care. They're, that's why it's nice having a 1099 employee. You just write them a big fat check, and there's the total, and here's what we're writing off and reporting to the government that we're writing off as an expense to our business. That's what the 1099 is intended for, is to show that you're writing it off as an expense to the business. Okay? So I saw one person in that comment say, oh, you need to give your employer a 1099. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because you're not writing it off. You never received it. Here was the hypothetical. You're working. You're doing your job. You get um, your W-2 at the end of the year and attached with it is a 1099 for this meaningful use payment that never came to you. You never received any money for this, period. But you get this 1099 from your employer saying, oh, well, we paid you the 1099 and we intend on writing this off because the payment came to us, but we really passed it through to you. And so we're doing a 1099 so that we can prove to the government, the IRS, that we did not, in fact, receive this payment so we don't have to pay taxes on it. We passed it through to you. Here's your 1099. Congratulations. You just got another $22,000. But they never paid the $22,000. But you got the 1099. So what they're doing is they're going to write off the 1099 as a loss or as a business expense that they passed it through to you and you never got it. And they're keeping that money. And you're going to pay taxes on something you never got. So you're basically paying the taxes for the company that you work for, which is illegal. It's fraud. Fraud with a big old capital F. So if you never received those payments and you have documentation of such, you, you know, deposit slips in your account. You never cashed a check. They've got no evidence. Ask them, prove to me where you paid me because, you know, if you sent me that check in the mail, I want it because <laughs> I'll pay the taxes. I'd rather have another 15 grand in my pocket. I'll pay the tax on it. If you give me another 15 grand, hell yeah. I'll take my meaningful use payment. Then it never came to you. So I would say maybe they meant to pay you and they lost the check or something happened. Maybe there is a justifiable explanation. I doubt it. But let's just assume and give them the benefit of the doubt. I'd be in that manager's office and in their face that day. And I'd be like, I got IRS hotline on my phone right now. And my thumb is on the button. Where the hell's my check? You need to cut me a check or you go to jail for fraud. <laughs> jail time <laughs> for fraud, baby. You want to go to jail? Oh, and by the way, not, don't don't even get me started on the fines and penalties throughout federal and state laws that are going to be in there. There's going to be criminal state laws. There's going to be federal state law or federal criminal laws. Uh, there's going to be tons of shit that you could hammer this guy to the wall with. I'm, I'm assuming he's a guy. Maybe he's a gal. I don't know. This person. So, yes, you can get paid meaningful use payments. And, yes, they are taxable. But you actually have to receive the payment. If you don't receive the payment, then you can't you can't be dinged for paying the taxes on somebody else's income. Wherever the check was deposited and sets at the end of the year has to pay taxes on it. Even if they intended to give it to you in that calendar year or in that reporting year for the IRS and they forgot about it and didn't get around to it, tough shit. They got to pay you for it or they got to or they got to pay the taxes on it. So if they want to keep it, that's fine. But they got to pay taxes on it. I'd say fine. Give me my 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 it's not MIPS. People were posting stuff about MIPS. That's a different animal. It's not meaningful use. MIPS is a different animal. That's a core measures thing. That's a quality reporting thing. This one's just to get you to use the EHR system. Mm-hmm.
I'd say, give it to me. I want my money. I want my money or I'm calling. I'm turning your ass in. And then I would say, if you intended to actually defraud the government, I do not want to work with you. And I would say, yeah, I'm probably okay on getting out of my contract early if I wanted to. With that knowledge. And they're probably going to be happy to let you walk away and say, yeah, hopefully he's just never going to say nothing. And he walks away and goes away. And he may ask you to say, uh, you know, a non-disclosure information and that kind of stuff at the end of that. And I might just say, you know what? I'm okay with that. Get me away from you. I don't want to be near a scumbag that's going to take advantage of the system and use me to do so. Don't bring me into your shady shit because I don't want to. I don't want the heat on me. That's what I would say. That was a great question too. That was like awesome. Those were like three awesome questions, like back to back. I want to hear more of them though, guys. I need to hear from you guys. I want to know what's bugging you, and I like new weird stuff. So if you've listened to a bunch of shows and you're like, you know, I haven't heard this one, ask your question. I get a ton of people that say, I've saw you, I've listened to the last show and I got a question, and it's the same ones I've I've, I've been asked hundreds hundreds of times, and that's cool. You can ask that question. I'll just point you to that show. So new listeners, I probably have answered a lot of the stuff that you have questions on, or at least I've touched on it, and I'm asking other people to help fill fill in the gaps and email me information. I will always update you guys if I get information from someone that says, Jeff, you're full of crap. You know what you're talking about. And they give me actual links, not just telling me, Jeff, you're full of crap. But if you actually give me links to things that, you know, I missed or it's different in your state and you want me to update, I will. I promise I will. So email me, Jeff at the NPDude.com with any of your stuff. I promise I'll, I'll get to it. I will. I still got some things on the back burner. I haven't got to yet. I promise I'll get to it, guys. Don't forget to support the show by going on Amazon through my link, through my website, thenpdude.com, and use that button, buy away, get a bunch of stuff, use your tax return money, (laughs) use that meaningful use money that you're going to get now because you're threatening to turn your employer into the IRS. That's a bad day. Man, that's a bad day. God, I'd hate to be in that position. I'd do it, but I wouldn't want to do it. Man, that would suck. Use that meaningful use money. Go buy yourself something real nice. I don't know. You know what I bought recently? I was at a, a the New Year's Eve party buddy's house. And he had some of the, the moose glasses from Christmas vacation. He had some of those. And they were they were like a real nice acrylic. They weren't glass, but they were acrylic plastic. And I accidentally bumped one off of that. I was drinking. I'm not going to deny it. My wife doesn't drink, so she drives me everywhere I go. So I'm usually having a couple drinks. And I was drinking, and it, and it wasn't even me being klutzy or anything, but I accidentally bumped this thing. It was behind me, and I didn't see the little horn thing. Knocked it on the floor, busted it. So I bought this guy, replaced it right then and there. I replaced him with a, a Marty Moose um, <laughs> acrylic shot glass. It's hilarious. It was one of the last things I purchased there. But I used my Amazon affiliate link, and, and, and I had a couple drinks in me, and I still recognized how to use my affiliate link. So it's not that difficult. If I could do it when I got a couple drinks in me, you guys can do it too. You guys are smarter than me. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. If you're working, I want you to be smart, be safe, and we'll talk soon.